following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Good afternoon. This is Jim Kerwin from Finest of the Wheat Teaching Fellowship, filling in for Brother Ray Greenlee, who is away for the week. And here is... Denise Kerwin, Jim's other half, joining with you to celebrate God's goodness. Amen. Now, last two times we've been together, uh, we were talking about reading through the Bible cover to cover. And in order for there to be full disclosure, I have to tell you something. There is a downside to reading the Bible through cover to cover on a regular basis, and that is you're held responsible for what you read. (laughs) And... One of the things that you're held responsible for is, oh wait, I'm not going to tell him. Why don't you go ahead and read the, the passage that we have? We're going to be reading from Psalm 130, verses 1 through 4. Out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. You know, I've been reading through the Bible at least once every year, and about 20 years ago, I came to that passage, I came to that verse, there's forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. And I said, what? That that doesn't make any sense. I could see there's forgiveness with you, and that makes us happy. There's forgiveness with you that that I can feel release and, and release from guilt. But there's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. And I did what I always do when I encounter something in the Scripture that doesn't make sense. I go to the master Bible teacher and I say, Lord, can you show me what this means? Because this doesn't make any sense, or I can't piece this together with something else. And months later, as I was reading through the New Testament, I suddenly realized what it meant, because it became clear in that reading of the New Testament that forgiveness from God is conditional. Mm-hmm. Now, that may surprise you. That may uh, that may you know, cause you to be taken aback, but forgiveness is conditional, not just conditional for unbelievers. Forgiveness is conditional for believers. Now, hang on for the ride here. Okay. Uh, why don't you go ahead and start with uh, Proverbs twenty-eight nineteen? He who conceals his transgressions or sins will not prosper, but... He who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. And you say, well, when I think about it, that makes sense. I can't get forgiven if I hold on to my sin. I need to confess. And notice the other part, forsake. You have to turn away from it. And the condition is implied there, but here's another verse that makes it far more clear that the forgiveness is conditional. This is from First John 
1, 9, If we confess our sins, notice the if, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, so the very fact that there's an if there means it's a condition. If you do this, then God will do that. Now, Acts 10.43 says, when Peter, actually it's, uh, yes, it's Peter, of, all, of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. So there's another condition. Believing in Jesus is one of the requirements as part of the condition for receiving forgiveness of sins. You've got another verse there from uh, Acts. This is Acts 13.38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, that is Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Now, that's Paul preaching on his first missionary journey. All right. Well, that's not really remarkable when you think about it. There are conditions for God to forgive sin. A, you have to have to um, forsake the sin because you're not really sorry for the sin if you're not willing to leave it. And then... Forgiveness is in Jesus' name. That is, it's in being in right relationship with him. All right, that pretty well squares that part away. But how can forgiveness be conditional for believers? Well, actually, you've known that for a long time. If you've ever said or recited or read or even heard the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer from Matthew six twelve. But I want you to listen to a few key verses there because a lot of times we say things over and over again and we don't stop to think what it means. It just becomes automatic. Mm -hmm. So this is from the Lord's Prayer. You can see it in Matthew 6, verses 12 to 15 if you want to look it up later on. And forgive us our our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Or in some versions of the Lord's Prayer, that's forgive us our trespasses. That would be our sins, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, the the catch there is in verse 12, Matthew six twelve. Jesus says... Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. The Greek word there for as is a word that's just as big as as. In the, in the Greek, it's hos. And what it means is just as, in the very same way as. So let me read that back in. Forgive us our debts, just as we have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts, in the very same way as we have forgiven our debtors. Now, you can say, well, that's not what Jesus meant. That's not, that's not conditional. You know, you see the, all, you know, the all-encompassing wisdom of God because here are the two verses that come immediately after the amen. You want to read those? For if... Stop. What? If... It's conditional. It's conditional. Uh-oh. If... If you forgive others, if you forgive others their transgressions, 
then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And here's the kicker. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. And this is Jesus saying this. Okay, so this isn't our interpretation of what Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer. This is Jesus' interpretation of what Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer. The part about forgiveness is conditional. If you forgive others their transgressions, then your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. And remember, he's talking to believers. Now, it's clear that Jesus wanted to make sure that the intent of what he was saying was clearly understood when he reiterated that point and made a special point. If you don't forgive others, then your heavenly father won't forgive you. Isn't that great? There's no, there's no wiggle room. Okay. (laughs) We can't, well, that's a matter of interpretation. No, it's not a matter of interpretation. That's what Jesus said. Let me jump ahead to Paul's writings in, in the book of Colossians chapter three and verses 12 through 15. He says, So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as, and there's a Greek word I'm going to come back to in a minute, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Notice the order there. First, as the Lord forgave you, you should also forgive. So there, there's the forgiveness. Then, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And then... Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. There's a uh, a progression in the order of what happens here. We like that 15th verse, don't we? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. But I can guarantee that it won't if you don't have the forgiveness part of the formula worked out. And going back to that 13th verse in chapter 3, when he says just as, the Greek word there is kathos, and it means to the very same degree. So let me read it. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as in to the very same degree the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Now, we're going to be looking at some other scriptures, but I, I want you to know that we lost a dear friend last Thursday. His name was Brother Terry. He was a co-pastor with me in the very first church I ever pastored out in Southern California. And he went to be with Jesus Thursday after suffering a very debilitating illness, just a progressive thing for which there's no cure, and the Lord saw fit not to heal him. According to his family, he went out in kind of a uh, just a real Christian way that, uh, that amazed everybody who was there. That doesn't surprise me, knowing Terry. I can't dedicate this 
this broadcast to Terry because it's not my broadcast. It's, it belongs to National Prayer Chapel. But I would like to do this in memory of Brother Terry because, you see, Brother Terry was on the wrong side, in my way of thinking, and a church split that happened in 1977, just a hair over 40 years ago because it was in late August, early September. And now I can tell you, all right, I can tell you that the other side was wrong. And the reason I can tell you that is because eight or nine years later, Brother Terry called me and said they were wrong. That's a long time to wait, but it was a, a difficult time. We had grown up with these people spiritually. We'd all gotten about, we'd saved about the same time. We'd all been saved about the same time. A number of us were um, were baptized in the Holy Spirit. We we actually, some of us were part of a Christian commune. And yes, yes, we were part of a Christian <laughs> commune, but a Christian commune, not a sort of semi-hippie one. I think we were the only short-haired Jesus commune in all of Southern California. And we had a different house for the brothers and the sisters. About a half a mile away. It was a real wonderful working relationship. And we learned a lot about how they lived in the book of Acts. That was the reason we were crazy enough to say, well, if they had all things coming in the book of Acts, I guess we ought to do that too. And it was a really great way to reach out and pull people off the street and off the beach and minister to them and give them a place. And once they got sobered up and saved, then a place where they could land until they got a job and got themselves squared away. In any event, so, and then all of us started to get married the same time. And then we all started having kids about the same time. So there was this deep, deep bond of affection and growing up. And then came the split over a thing that was so strange, so divisive that the leader of the group, probably 10 years after that, actually had the full front page of a prominent Christian magazine where in large, bold print, he made his apology right on the cover. I mean, that was the cover. There was no image. There was no anything. I'm not going to go into the particulars. But you just have to know that with people with whom we were that close, it was devastating. It was mm -hmm. devastating on, on many different levels because shortly after the split, we found out they weren't allowed to fellowship with us. And then... And, then for, and for us personally... We lost our best friends. We lost our church. We lost our uh, means of income just overnight. And our second child had just been born. We had a brand new baby. And uh, this was a uh, challenging time. But yet we knew we had to just walk the road that, that Jesus had for us. Yes, here was the challenge. Bitterness and unforgiveness never hurts the person against whom you're bitter. It never hurts the, the person mm -hmm. uh, against whom you're holding this unforgiveness. It always burns and can ultimately poison and destroy the person who holds it. And I knew that theoretically. I understood that. But it's one thing to know the truth and it's another thing to have to deal with all of the emotions that come with that particular thing. So the Lord challenged me 
And he said, you must walk in forgiveness. You have to walk in forgiveness. And that was hard. That was very hard. It was something that I, and let me back up just to say this. Unforgiveness, or forgiveness rather, is a choice. I suppose unforgiveness is too. Forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Now, praise God when the feeling is there. Like love, forgiveness is a choice. And the reason it's the same as love is because forgiveness comes out of love. So that that first week, especially once we found out the, the full impact of what had happened, we I, I had to walk moment by moment and say, I choose to forgive. I choose to. And if there were particular people involved and there were people in the leadership, Terry was one of them. I choose to forgive Brother Terry. I choose to forgive Brother so-and-so. I choose to forgive Sister so-and-so. And that took up most of my the, the energy of my waking moments. Eventually, it slacked off to the point where I only had to forgive once every half hour. And then once every hour. This, this was a process of weeks, not days. It wasn't magic. It wasn't something where I could just make a declaration because every time those thoughts would come up in my heart, I would have to deal with them, take responsibility for them. And like I said, in the end, there's a man who said, Jim, we were wrong and I'm sorry. So, but they wouldn't have said that back then. So choosing, and then every time anybody in what was left of the church, we were left with, I think, 17 people out of 70 or 80. And all of the people with any kind of a, a measurable income left. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was a real, real challenging time. So anytime anybody in our, our, our remnant, um, we, we would get together for our regular meetings. We were seeking God about whether or not we should become a church, those of us who were left, because all of the incorporation paperwork, all of that stuff, all, it was just all taken and so um, anytime someone would speak out, I'd say, brother, sister, you have to walk in forgiveness. You have to choose to forgive. And I will say this for that remnant. They were faithful to work that out. It was as difficult for them as it was for me, but they walked and they chose to forgive. And they kept doing that until one day, one by one, each of us finally experienced the feeling, the emotion of forgiveness, which made it a whole lot easier. Because when you're just going by your your will before God, Lord, I choose to forgive, That's that requires energy. Once the emotion shows up, then there's, it, it just, everything becomes a lot smoother and, and more natural, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. You know, forgiveness allows you to step forward out of the pain and to not be controlled by that pain and hurt anymore. As long as you haven't forgiven, you're continuing to... The the hurt, it just keeps going on and on and on. And God knew what he was saying when he said we needed to forgive because it's actually 
a powerful spiritual tool like a, a, a sword that just makes cut, cuts a, a clean break. And forgiveness is it's the seedbed for renewal and freedom and healing in our hearts and in our souls. So it's it's not only being obedient to what God has asked us to do, but it's also in our own best interest, actually. It's going to set us free. Spiritually and even physically, because I've seen what unforgiveness can do to people's bodies. I mean, that, that bitterness that creeps in, there is this... Wow. It actually has a, I don't know if it's spiritual, psychosomatic, but that poison goes from the heart and the soul to the body. And so even if you only have enlightened self-interest in mind, you want to get rid of the unforgiveness. Paul has another passage too. It's in Ephesians 4, at verse 30. And we're going to do what we said to do when we were talking yesterday about hermeneutics. We're just going to eliminate the chapter heading, because remember, Paul didn't write in chapters. I'm going to start in 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Why don't you take it from there? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as... And there's that greed word again. Kathos. Kathos. In this very same degree. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God. How are we imitating him? Didn't he forgive us? Okay. Be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love just as, again... There's that just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Oh, now you convict me right now because I I don't have my Greek New Testament here, but as you read verse 2 there, walk in love just as Christ. Now I want to know what the Greek word is for that. I'm, <laughs> I'm betting it's kathos, but I'm not going to say that without my Greek Testament here. Never mind. So... Tender-hearted, forgiving each other, kathos, in the very same degree as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon on this next verse. Be imitators of God. You know, too often I hear sermons where the pastor will say, well, no, don't do what I, don't do, what I do, do what I say. But not Paul, not these New Testament Christians Paul could say, look, you be an imitator of God. You do it like he does. And he was bold enough in his example, in his relationship with God. I I don't have the verses here, but in other places, he says, you be imitators of me as I do thus and such and so and so. Sister, brother, that's the kind of life you want to have where you can say, you imitate God. In fact, what you want to do as an example is, is say, Be an imitator of me. Just watch what I do and do it. But bring the person to the point, not where they're imitating you, but where you can say, never mind that. You be an imitator of God as beloved children. There have only been a very few people in my life where I could say, do you want to know what Jesus is like? 
go spend a day with that person. One of them would have been my, my father in the Lord, Percy Guttridge. You'll find a lot of his writings on our website, finestoftheweet.org. But one of them was Denise's dad, Jim Halbert, a conservative Baptist missionary to, well, I'd say Africa, primarily Cote d'Ivoire, but the last few years he was working in Kenya. Mm-hmm. And those people, I could just say, you want to know what Jesus is like? You go spend a day with Pastor Percy. You go spend a day with Jim Halbert. And then come back and tell me what Jesus was like. So here's the word. Be imitators of God in this matter of love and forgiveness. In this sequence that we've just read, starting in verse 30, let's hit the key points. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And then he's going to be bringing up these things where if you don't do them, you very well might. What might grieve the Spirit? Well, bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, slander, malice. Among believers now, What are we to do instead, being specifically mindful that we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit? We want to be able to flow with him. We want to be in that peace of God, that uh, having the peace of Christ rule in our hearts in that passage that we read just previously. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Boy, we learn at a young age to kind of bottle it up, put up the barriers, just partially to protect us and partially to just not let the other person get the upper hand in a a relationship, in a situation, tender-hearted and forgiving each other in the very same degree that God and Christ forgave us. That's how we become imitators of God. And we walk in that light. We walk in that love. We walk in that forgiveness, kathos, in the very same degree as Christ did. Now, you can say, well, all right, but Jesus only said this thing about, you know, your father won't forgive you unless, uh, your father won't forgive you if you don't forgive, but let's not make a big thing just out of one passage. Danny, I wonder if you'd read that whole passage, that whole parable there in Matthew 18, starting with verse 21. Just take it from the top and read the whole thing. And notice that it starts out on the subject of forgiveness. That's right. Peter comes to Jesus, and he says to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. So now Jesus is going to tell one of his famous stories. So when this king had begun to settle the accounts with his slaves, there was one who owed him 10,000 talents. And that man was brought to him. Let's, Let's stop there. That's almost the equivalent of saying that's an incalculable amount. We're talking multiplied millions if you draw it into uh, modern-day modern money. So Right. But since the slave did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. That was the standard practice at the time if you had a debt that you couldn't repay. 
So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before the Lord, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion, there's that compassion, and released him and forgave the debt, that huge, uh, almost unimaginable sum of money. But then that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. That's just a small amount of money. A denarius was the amount that you would earn in a day, basically, that a, a day laborer. I can't think of the proper term in Greek because Spanish keeps getting in the way, but a jornalero, that's what a jornalero <laughs> would, 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 would earn in a day. So, And so the slave seized his fellow slave and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will p- repay you. That's what he had just cried out to the Lord that he owed the money to, so much money. But that slave was unwilling to forgive the debt, and he went and he threw his fellow slave in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved. And they came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. So then, summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? Does this sound familiar? In the same way? that I had mercy on you. End at verse 34 to conclude it, but don't conclude verse 35. And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. His debt was reinstated. Now, the parable's pretty clear. Who is the king? The king is... It's the father. The father. Okay. And who are the slaves? Well, those are... The father's servants, those are God's servants, people who are serving him, people who belong to him either by first birth or by second birth, that is to say the new birth. So here we have a story of somebody being forgiven a tremendous amount. And those of you who have been saved for a while, maybe you've forgotten just how much God has forgiven you. You know, it seems like the farther we come away from our salvation experience, especially if we didn't have a Holy Ghost-inspired deep conviction of sin. We never fully appreciate what it is God saved us from. We say, well, God saved me from going to hell. Well, that's just the tip of the iceberg. God meant for you to know, to have some idea of the depth of your sin and wickedness and even if you were, you know, I mean, you're talking to the guy who was the assistant church organist and the Eagle Scout and the straight-A student. And, well, I mean, if I got into trouble, it was minor stuff, mainly with my parents. Um, but I had to learn, without ever having done drugs or you know, illicit sex or anything like that, I had to learn the depth of my wickedness. I had to learn what conviction was. I had to learn what repentance was. When you 
however church-going you have been, however righteous you think you are, you read through the first five, six, seven verses of Isaiah chapter 6, and you find a man who was godly, upright, righteous, and once he sees himself before the living God, the Holy One, once he has a revelation of God's holiness, he cries out like a leper and says, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm I, I'm a man of unclean lips. That's what a leper would say. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I'm segregated with the other lepers. He, with all of his righteousness, with all of his good works, with all the rest of that, he, he saw himself in contrast to the holy God. And we know he saw the holy God. That is because what does he hear? These heavenly beings shouting, Holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. So he's in this revelation of who God is. And his heart, however righteous he was before men, was just completely, totally ripped open and exposed for what was there. He saw within spiritual leprosy. So now Jesus puts the cap on it. Here comes the zinger. We're talking about this man who in the story had his debt reinstated, all multiplied millions, probably with penalties and interest. You know how credit cards go. (laughs) If you think credit, you know, penalties and interest are bad with a credit card, imagine what God could do with that kind of a debt in a person's life. I think that whatever the torturers mean in that one verse, he was delivered over to the torturers, I'm sure it had to be at least part of that had to be the guys who came up and said, well, you owe interest, and now you owe a penalty, and then you have <laughs> interest on the penalty, all right? Um, then Jesus says, go ahead, read that verse. This is how he ends the parable, verse 35. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Oh, Whoa. <laughs> I mean, you know, in case you miss what it was you were praying in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus lays it out. Forgive, Father forgives you. Don't forgive, Father doesn't forgive you. And then, in case that was too many chapters earlier in Matthew and you missed it or you've forgotten it, then Jesus brings up this parable that Denise just read, and he tells the story. He tells how the man's debt was reinstated and how he was was carted off from, from the presence of this king. And then he says, God will do the exact same thing to you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And what that tells me is there's the choosing and the choosing and the choosing, and you keep doing it until you get to the point where you also feel it. Until you, I mean, you you will it in your willer, so to speak, and Mm -hmm. until you know it in your knower. That's right. And the wonderful part about this is when you do choose to forgive, then the lavishness of God's forgiveness is is freely offered to you. Uh, The Bible says that... His love poured out was poured out for us and shown to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for just 
the righteous and holy people. Oh, there are some? <laughs> Only by his blood. <laughs> Only by his righteousness. But he died for... Do you remember the the thief on the cross when Jesus was crucified? And in the end, that thief said... Remember me. And Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. There's never, it's, it's not too late when there's true forgiveness before the Lord. Now, you can say, Well, Pastor Jim, Denise, you don't know what happened to me. Actually, no, in particular, I don't. But I've been in ministry now since, when did I get ordained? 1971. So been in ministry for a little bit. And believe me, I've heard horrible stories stories that would just curl your toenails. I mean, just, just break your heart. And just, you think, how could anybody treat someone else that way? How could anybody treat a child that way? How could anybody treat a spouse that way? And... God doesn't make any exceptions. You say, well, that's not fair that I should have to forgive that person. You want to talk about unfair? Let's talk about unfair with a capital U. Do you know where you find unfair with a capital U in the scriptures? You read it in every single gospel account of the death of Jesus on the Mm -hmm. cross. Mm -hmm. That's unfair with a capital U. Mm So just as God forgave you, you look to him. And here's, here's a truth. You can want to do a thing because God says to and not be able to do it in your heart. So what do you do at that point? At that point, you ask God for his grace to forgive or whatever it is you need to be able to do, you ask for his help, and then you choose. You say, okay, I don't feel like it. I don't really want to, but I know I need to, and I know this is what God wants. And you lay down your life, and you choose to forgive. Jesus made that clear. If any man wants to follow me, he needs to lay down his life and take up his cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. You have to deny yourself the... I hesitate to use the word, but it's the only one that comes to mind. The pleasure of holding unforgiveness against somebody. Believe me, after a while, it is no longer pleasurable. And when the Holy Spirit is grieved and your spiritual growth is stunted... And you can't get past a certain place. If you can't forgive, pray until you can choose to forgive. Because it could be that somewhere along the line there, God has said, you know, I asked you quite a while ago to forgive that person. You just let this thing build and fester. And now we have to lance the boil. And now you need to seek me for forgiveness that you have held unforgiveness against this person. You ask me to help you be free in your heart to begin to choose 
to forgive that person. You have a really interesting story you were sharing with me, and I remember it from the book. Some of you have had the the good fortune and pleasure to read books by a saint now departed by the name of Corey Ten Boom. You will know her family, her story from The Hiding Place. Maybe you saw the movie. I don't think I ever saw the movie, but I did read the book. And she has an interesting story of what happened just after World War II when she was ministering in various places in Europe. She, her sister, had died in a concentration camp. She, her, Corey, almost died but was released on a clerical error. And so she began to move around Europe and minister in this this way, especially about forgiveness. Go ahead and read that story, sweetie. Corey's sister, Betsy, and Corey harbored Jews in their home in Holland during the Nazi occupation, and eventually it caught up with them, and they were arrested, and they were taken to the Ravensbrück concentration camp. If you've ever read about any of of what went on in those concentration camps uh it was it was pretty inhuman the living conditions were brutal uh the inmates ended up basically skeletons just skin and bones and all that in aid of just preparing them to be slaughtered yeah and they they were required to get up like at four in the morning and and stand at attention in the freezing cold for a long time in the morning and then go out and work outdoors. Corey's sister eventually was failing failing physically, and one of the most brutal guards there came upon her when she had just collapsed onto the ground. She just couldn't keep going anymore, and he just brutally beat her knowing of course that she was she had had no uh, physical ability to continue and eventually Betsy died in that prison camp and Corey had to watch her sister die under those circumstances this was a situation if there's ever been one where it would be awfully difficult to forgive so one day Corey was preaching about forgiveness in a church in Germany after the war. She finished the service. She used to speak of forgiveness, uh, God's forgiveness, that he put all our sins at the bottom of the sea. That was how she would, uh, the analogy she would give. And after this particular service, others were leaving, and she saw someone working his way forward against the others, in a overcoat, a brown hat. And as she watched him, she says, I'm going to actually move into Corey's words for a little bit here because this is so powerful that it it deserves to, to be read in her words. She says, One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat this man was wearing, and the next moment... I saw a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones from the concentration camp. It came back with a rush, 
The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Now this man was in front of me, this guard was in front of me, with his hand thrust out and saying, A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt, it was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard in there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fräulein... And again the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and I could not forgive. Bessie had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives us has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I know it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. And those who were able to forgive their former enemies who lived in that home, though those who lived in that home who were able to forgive their former enemies, were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. But those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids, it was as simple and as horrible as that. Mm. Jim was referring to that sort of thing a little bit earlier. And still I stood there with the coldness clunch, clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Wow, that's, that's an amazing... Read that again. Forgiveness is an act of the will... And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. We we're talking about what do you do when you feel like you can't forgive? She says, well, I can lift my hand. He's reaching out, asking, wanting to shake my hand and asking forgiveness. I can, I can lift my hand. Okay. That, that's all I can do, but I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, 
I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. What a miracle! For a long moment we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Here's if there's one thing I've learned at eighty years of age. Not you, Corey. This, this is Corey still <laughs> still saying this. That's right. I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> it's creeping up on me, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> But you look really good for thing... 49. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if there's one thing I've learned, it's that I can't store up good feelings and behavior, but only draw them fresh from God each day. There's another situation that she encountered where this came into play very much. And I'll just go through this quickly. She says... Having thus learned to forgive in this hardest of situations, I wish I could say I never again had difficulty in forgiving. I wish I could say that merciful and charitable thoughts just naturally flowed from me from then on, but they didn't. That's when she says, I've learned that I can't store up good feelings and behavior, but only draw them fresh from God each day. She says, maybe I'm glad it's that way, for every time I go to him, he teaches me something else. I recall the time some 15 years ago when some Christian friends whom I loved and trusted did something which hurt me. This we can relate to from the story Jim told earlier on that we had been through. Oh, yeah, and we've been through it more than once. Yeah, more than once, actually. So Corey says, you would have thought that having forgiven the Nazi guard, this would have been child's play. She means to forgive these Christian friends who had hurt her. But it wasn't. For weeks I seethed inside. But at last I asked God again to work his miracle in me. And again it happened. First the cold-blooded decision. Then the flood of joy and peace. I had forgiven my friends and I was restored to my father. There's much more there that we don't have time for Denise to read. It's a very moving story. But here's the bottom line. You will. That's not a prophecy. That's just how life will work. You will encounter situations in your family, at work, among your friends, in your church especially, where you are going to be hurt. And right or wrong, that is to say whether you're on the right side, whatever that is, or the wrong side, You are going to be hurt, and you are going to need to choose to forgive. And it starts there. I'm I'm almost scared to use her phrase, a a cold-blooded decision. Right. I think of it as being terms of a warm heart, but uh, at least a heart that wants to please Jesus. But here Jesus says, I know I've got to do it, so I'm going to do it. Well, she started where she could. Yes. You notice? The the one thing she could do was she figured, okay, I can I can force my hand to stretch out there. So she started where she could, and she asked God to meet her there at that point. 
Well, that's about all the time we have, but here's the bottom line. Well, no, this is something beyond the bottom line. These things that God takes you through, where you have to choose to forgive, they are opportunities for great growth and much deepening. Mm -hmm. And how, whether or not you pass the test will be critical to your personal life and especially to your spiritual life and your life with Jesus. Nobody gets a pass. Everybody has to go through these these things unless you're on a desert island and you're the only person there. And even then, things may come up where you have to choose. I don't care if it's parents, brothers and sisters, pastors, church members, family members. God will love you enough to continue to deal with you until you choose to say, Lord, help me. Help me get to that point and let me do this thing that Jesus does. Help me to be an imitator of God. Don't let my debt be reinstated. There's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. There's nothing that's worth giving up the peace and pleasure of Jesus within, in your heart. There's nothing compares to him. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you call us to follow you and you call us to forgive as you forgive in the same way with the same intensity we ask Lord that we might be able to pray with complete confidence forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors amen amen now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless for the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our